Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. So Father, we come to you, the rock, the one who protects, the one who is our shelter, the one who is our firm foundation. Father, forgive us for the times that we have run to to foundations of sand that so quickly give away and expose our, our lack of thinking and wisdom. But we thank you for your spirit which has led us to Jesus Christ and has led us to faith in him and we pray that that you would continue to establish us on him that we would find firm footing on the rock that is Jesus Christ the cornerstone the one who will never move that though the storms and the trials of life may come that we will be found standing not because of our own strength but because of the one on whom we stand and the one who, who reigns over it all so we pray that this morning that you'd remind us again, even in the, in the songs that we have sung, that you are the one who is worth praising because you have redeemed us. And as your saints, we worship you. And you are worth it all. And so we pray that you'd be with us this morning as we now sit under the teaching of your word. Would you show us Christ? Help us to treasure you more, to grow in our faith in you. And remind us that though we are often weary and frail in our faith, that you remain great in your faithfulness to us. So we praise you for this and we trust that you will speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, if there's any kids who are in Hope Kids, you can make your way down. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have... A Bible with you, you can go to, or your phone, you can go to Esther 2. This is week 3. We're going to be going from verses 1 to 11. So Esther 2. And uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Say it with me. The more... Hold on. Let's, the more... Things change, the more they stay the... Yeah, if if I was a teacher, I wouldn't be doing a good job right now. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, what we're going to see today in our text is that this is true. Because we're going to see a culture that didn't have Teslas, that didn't have Apple Watches, that didn't have the internet. But it did have people. It did have sinful people. Which means it was a sinful culture. Which means it was a culture like our culture, a culture like our culture. And here's what God woke you up. Hope you're awake. He woke me up, got me dressed, got me here to tell you this. Living in a sinful culture is hard. 
right? You're like, oh, we, all, we know that. Living in a sinful, sinful culture is hard, but here's the thing God wants you to know is that we have his help. Culture is hard. Living in a sinful culture is hard, but we have God's help. So if you're in Esther 2, say, let's go to work. All right, verse 1 says, Sometime later, when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what he had done and what uh, was decided against her. The king's personal attendant suggested, Let's search, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Susa, or Susa. Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, and give them the required beauty treatments that the young women, and then the young women who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and, and he did accordingly. In the fortress of Susa, there was a, a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Kish had, a, had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jeconiah, I'm just saying these uh, the way I think they sound, of Judah into exile. Mordecai was the uh, the legal guardian of his cousin Adasha, that is Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's command, had, command and edict became public knowledge, and when the many young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Haggai, Haggai's supervision, Esther was taken to the palace in the supervision of Haggai, a keeper of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of her beauty treatment and, and special diet that she received. He assigned seven handpicked female servants to her for the, uh, from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. Esther did not reveal her ethnicity or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in front of the, harem, of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. Let's pray. Father, we know your word, Lord God, is inerrant, that everything set down in it is for our instruction. And God, I pray that you would help us to come to this word, Lord God, with an open mind and a willingness to be guided by your spirit into uh, the truth that is there, but also to be helped by your spirit, God, to live in the applications, in the implications of what is said here for our lives now. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen me, that you would help me, that I would be able to serve your church. God, I want to do a good job of that. And so I pray that you would lead me by your spirit Guide me, empower me, and give all of us, Lord God, a fresh and supernatural anointing that we would be attentive in a, in a new way, Lord God, to the word and be helped in the ways that you want to help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're told again that the king is upset, that he is mad. This guy, he lives in two states. If you, if you read this book, he's either upset or, uh, or he's drunk. That's the two states that he sort of operates in. And he's upset, verse 1 says, that he, he, he says that he was in a rage. 
And he's mad for two reasons. He's mad because when he asked Vashti to come, she said no. But he's also upset because he just lost a war. Remember I told you this in the first message. He had this intention. Jessica's smiling at me already. He had this intention of invading Greece and trying to expand his empire. Well, he, he does it and he loses terribly. You could just check it in history. And, and he's upset because he's, he's, his treasury is depleted. So the money is short. And his respect is low. He's discredited by his people. They don't think that well of him. And in all of that, in that context, verse 1 says, that's when he remembered Vashti and what he had decreed against her. And this word here, remembers, in the original, it actually implies regret. It implies that he's actually feeling a little sad about what he did. And that's why I said to you last week, think before you act. Think before you do certain things. Now, some of you didn't understand what I meant when I said that. So let me just clarify. This is a beautiful thing about preaching two weeks in a row. If you don't get it, I can clarify. And the truth is, I just didn't do a good job of saying how I should have said it. When I say think before you act, I mean slow down. It's not just to be caught up in your own thinking. It's to, it's to make major decisions slowly. Talk to some people. Ask some questions. And because I want to be a pastor who helps the flock of God, let me give you some questions to ask. Will my actions, if you're making big decisions, will my actions please God and bring him glory? That's, just, that's a good start. Will it please God what I'm about to do? Have I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit for his guidance? Have I done that? Have I spoken to anyone else about this? Here's the big one. Am I avoiding speaking to other people because I don't like what they might say? Sometimes we're like, I just want to do what I want to do. And I know if I talk to a couple people, they might be like, that's not a good idea. So you don't say nothing. That's not wise. Is the decision I'm about to make driven by fear or is it driven by faith? Is there anyone who has had to make a similar decision that I can speak to? Who has God placed in your life? Do, here's this one. Do the people who, I, who know me and love me have valid hesitations and concerns that I shouldn't ignore? The people in my life are for me. Do I really, this last one, seven, because that's just a good biblical number. Do I really need to do the thing that I'm thinking about doing just stop ask yourself work through those and if you if you you see something there take the step that's necessary that god's leading you to take and then it says verse one again sometime later now when you read that you think was that a week was it a month sometime later well it's actually four years between one and two right yogi's awake so four years. And so let me get the, I hope I don't mess this up again. Let me get that timeline on the screen. So kingdoms divided, Israel's taken into exile because they disobey God. Persia defeats, defeats Babylon. I'm going the right way, right, Shayan? Um, defeats Babylon. They come in control of, of, a, of a major empire. Cyrus releases the Jews. Some of them go home, some of them stay. Xerxes, who's the guy we're talking about, this is just another name for him, begins his reign. Then he gets upset with his wife and kicks her out. And then he invades Greece. 
That fails, then Esther becomes queen. And then some of the returning Jews kind of trickle up. So this is, this, is the, this is where Esther fits in into world history. That is what we're working with in the context. I'm showing you this because I want you to see that sometimes God takes a long time to work things out. Sometimes the people of God have had to learn to wait on God. But the Bible says no one who waits on the Lord will ever, ever be put to shame. Application there? Practice patience. Good thing that God might be doing for you is going to take some time. Learn to wait. So your boy here in the text is feeling sad. And then his attendant comes to him with an idea. Verse, uh, chapter, verse 2. It says, The king's personal attendant suggested, Let a search be made for the beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that he may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem uh, at the fortress of Such. This guy had some lunatics around him. Right? right? Read your Bible like a human being. You're like, what? Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young women who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. And this suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So think about this. This guy says, let's gather these young girls. Let's lock them up. Let's give them beauty treatments they might not even want. And we'll hold them there, and when you're good and ready, you could just take them. That's evil. That's satanic. And it says in verse 4, the suggestion pleased the king. Think about what it's like to be a parent in this culture. You're, the commissioner in your town starts knocking on doors and just taking girls. And you're just sitting there as a parent, just hoping, hoping that the knock actually never comes. And here's something that I want you to not miss in the text. This wasn't just happening to girls. It was also happening to boys. Verse 3 says, Haggai was one of the king's eunuchs. Now, there's a word you don't hear every day, but you should say, like, what's a eunuch? It's a castrated young boy. So they were just going around. This historian, his name is Herodotus, he said this, 500 young boys were gathered each year and castrated to serve as a eunuch in the Persian court. Again, think about what it's like to be a parent. Karen Jobes, she said this, Everyone, whether male or female, was at the disposal of the king's personal whims. This is a culture where men and women were used. And it's demonic. That's one of the reasons why it's hard to live in a sinful culture. Because people are still being used today. And that's because we as a people choose to ignore God's call to love one another. And we choose instead to, to use each other. When you use a person, do you know what you're doing? You're devaluing them. When you use a person, you're disregarding the people who love them. It's evil. Pastor Dennis said it like this. When we worship pleasure and possessions, we end up using people. Always using 
people. So you gotta, you, you got to look at your life. What, what are my actions saying? What am I worshiping? Is, am I worshiping God or am I worshiping pleasures and possessions? Because if that's the case, you're probably using some people around you. The king's actions remind us of this, that bad leaders are a part of sinful culture. But let me say something that's really important. That shouldn't make you distrust every leader. Did you hear me on it? Bad leaders are a part of, but that's, that's a, it's a part of sinful culture, but it shouldn't make you distrust every leader. There's some people, maybe you're sitting in this room, that's your default position. You just distrust every leader, but you need to understand this. Leadership and authority is biblical. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great, ex- great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. See, Jesus in this text is condemning bad leadership, but also calling for good servant leadership. But it should not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to tell you that there are bad leaders who are ignoring this. But there are also good leaders who are working every day by the power of the Spirit to try to obey this call. uh, by Jesus. And when you see them, do you know what you do? You thank God for them. That there would be somebody there who's like, I know what Jesus has said. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I struggle with sin, but every day I get up and I ask God to help me to be the kind of shepherd that he calls for. You thank God for that person. You pray for that person. Pray for me. I'm not saying I'm perfect like, I'm not perfect like Jesus. But sometimes I just want to give you full disclosure. I want to be a good shepherd. So you pray for your shepherds that we wouldn't become those kinds of leaders like we see in the passage. Pray for them. Encourage them to keep going. Here's this last one. Trust them. Turn to somebody and tell them, trust them. Come on. Come on. Trust them. The yogi says, trust me. <laughs> yeah, he's a shepherd. Yeah, that's right. Good application. Oh, bro, you you kill me. I yeah. All right. So in trust them. Yes. <laughs> Throw me off. And now in verses five to eleven, the 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 writer introduces Mordecai and Esther. And in verse six, he tells us that. That Mordecai is, is a Jewish man living in exile. And then in verse 7, he says that he adopted his cousin. Verse 7 says, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Hadasha. That is Esther, because she had no father or mother. See, Mordecai here steps in when she loses her parents. And that what it does is it reminds you that adoption is this beautiful thing. And I want to remind you that there was another man in Scripture, you may not know, who adopted somebody else. That was Joseph. He adopted Jesus. 
And the same way God used Esther to rescue and save his people, God used Jesus Christ to rescue and save, to rescue and save you and me. And here's the, here's the thing. When you placed your faith in Jesus, do you know what happened? You were adopted into the family of God. And so you have nothing but good coming to you. Adoption is this beautiful thing that God uses to work his good and perfect plan. Now, Mordecai and Esther were Jews who stayed in Persia. I told you that this command goes out and, uh, and some of the Jews go home and they choose to stay. And the church throughout history has kind of wondered, why'd they do that? Why'd they behave like that? They've also wondered, why didn't, they, why didn't Esther and Mordecai behave like Daniel when he was in exile? Right? Daniel stood up to the empire. He said, no, nah, I'm not doing your thing. I'm doing my own thing. But Esther lets herself be taken. She eats the king's food. Mordecai tells her to hide her identity. People are like, why do they behave like this? But I want you to know, the author of Esther never says, never comments. But here's what the author does say. This, where they were, was a challenging place to live. And it's all in the text. It was a diverse culture. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The king ruled 127 provinces from India to Kush. And then it says in verse 22 of chapter 1, He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to each province in its own script, uh, and to each ethnic group in its own language. What, they, what you realize here is they didn't live in a monoculture. There were different religions. There were different languages. There were different convictions. There were different habits, different people. <laughs> Here's the other one. It was a culture where injustice was the norm. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says that when Vashti refused to come, the king conferred with the experts in the law and justice. So he goes to the people who should uphold justice, but we remembered in the first message, what they do? They committed injustice. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so this is a, it's a very challenging place to live where daily decisions were actually really hard. And so you're looking like, why are they behaving like this? Like, I don't, it's a challenging spot that they were in. Esther and Mordecai are like Spider-Man. They were far from home. It's true. Yeah, I'm into those Marvel movies. Now that's true of us too. True of us too. First Peter one one verse verse chapter one verse one says calls us elect exiles. The Bible actually says we are far from home. This is not where we're going to be forever, but it is where we are now. And I don't know about you, but life in exile, life in a sinful culture, is hard. Amen. Amen. Daily decisions are not easy. You face all kinds of things that's challenging. We have to make ethical decisions. We have to make political decisions. We have to make relational decisions all the time around sinful people away from heaven, our home. It's challenging to live here. That is what we share in common. But here's the thing. I told you, living in a sinful culture is hard, but we have God's help. God has given us the help we need. 
to live here as we wait on him to come. You're like, how? How has he helped us? God has given you his word. Have you read it? Have you opened it? When that tough thing comes, where do you go? Do you go to just the people around you first or do you go to the word of God first? God has given you his spirit. Is there a sensitivity in your life to the spirit and his leading? Or do you just hop up and do whatever you feel? God has given us his ear. When was the last time you prayed in the middle of a tough decision? God has given us his church. When was the last time you went to the people of God in order to find out if you can get the help of God? Or are you just always doing all the tough stuff by yourself, coming up every single time full of regret? Or are you pressing into the things that God actually provides? Your father loves you. He looks at you and he says, I know some days you're feeling yourself. You think you can do this thing all on your own, but you really can't. And because I love you enough, I've provided all of these things. And so you press into them. You want to know how to navigate life in a hard culture? Step into the things that God has given you. Stop trusting in yourself and stop trusting and start trusting in the means of grace that God has provided. Because he loves you and he knows that life here is hard. So he hasn't left you all on your own. That's the father you have. And so you got to step back and ask yourself a hard question. Am I pressing into these things or am I just trying to figure it out all on my own? We don't know why Esther and Mordecai make the choices that they do. But like Kendrick Perkins says, that's okay. Because here's the thing. This story is not primarily about what Esther and Mordecai did. It's about what God was doing. If you read Esther and you come with the lens on, that Esther is the hero of the story, you're not reading it the right way. I know that's messing up some of the Bible Sunday school things you guys have went to. Now, you got to understand me here. Esther did a great thing. We're not going to discount that. But she did that great thing because God gave her the courage to do it. God is the hero of the story. Not Esther. I I think we're going to see her in glory. I'm going to dap her up. But yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling good today. But we're going to give God the praise. He is the hero of the story. This is a culture where God was working. That's what you got to take. And the author of the text actually hints at it in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, The young woman pleased him and gave, gained his favor. When it says that she pleased him, that just means that she was actually just beautiful to look at and charming. She pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process. That, that word there, you should underline it, favor. It's actually the Hebrew word hesed. Somebody say it? Somebody say it? Okay, I thought somebody said it better than I did. Hesed. All right? And it speaks of God's faithfulness. When a Jewish person heard that word, they were excited. 
It's God's faithfulness. It speaks of God's covenant loyalty. It actually speaks of God's sovereignty, that he's reigning over all things. When they, a Jewish person would have been excited when they heard it because it reminded them that God never abandons his people. Let me give you some examples of this. Go to the back of my Bible. That's where this is. It says, because God was with Joseph, he found favor with Potiphar, the prison warden, and Pharaoh. That's Genesis. Because God was with Daniel, he found favor in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Because God was with Nehemiah, he found favor before the Persian king. See, what is going on here is the Bible's trying to remind you that God was with his people when they were in Egypt. And he was with his people when they were in exile. God here in verse 9 puts Esther on track to become queen. He is the one moving the process forward. I want you to know, you know this already because you read it. God's name is never mentioned in Esther. But what you got to understand is that he was fully there, working. See, in Esther, the actions of God were in stealth mode. Yeah, it's tr- say it's true. In stealth mode. Yeah, working. See, in Esther, what the enemy means for evil, God takes it and he turns it for the good of his people. And this pattern actually continues at the cross. In Acts 2, it says, Jesus, a man attested to you by God, mighty in works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So through their evil, God takes it and turns it for the good of his people. Raising him up, there's the resurrection, losing the, pang, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What you need to understand is that Calvary is this dark day, an evil day, but as all of that evil, as all of that injustice is going on, God is there in the middle of it saying, I'm taking all of this evil, this sinful culture, I'm going to use this for the good of a people 2,000 years later who are going to have faith in Jesus Christ. God was in stealth mode, working behind the scenes on a dark day. He made salvation possible. And here's the thing. In this dark and evil day, God is here and working behind the scenes. The actions of God are in stealth mode, which is why we can always stand up and say in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the thing that's confusing, in the middle of that weird political decision, in the middle of that new weird law, we can still say, God is here and working and great is thy faithfulness. Because I know that even though I'm here and some days I feel like I'm all by myself, that I shouldn't trust my feelings. 
that my God, he's he's sovereign, never abandons his people. Living in a sinful culture is hard, but we have God's help. Here's Here's the thing now, though. That's why you should never feel hopeless, no matter what is going on. Tony Evans says the sovereignty, sovereignty refers to God's absolute power and rule over all his creation. God, whose name does not appear in the book of Esther, is present and working on every page. When you begin to understand God's sovereignty and his providential ways of achieving his will, you will be conscious of God's fingerprint even when he seems absent. Because of this, we can trust God even when we cannot trace his hand at work in our lives. And so the question is, do you trust God? Some days you can't see it. Some days you can't feel it. But do you trust God? Do you believe God is in control of everything? Do you believe God is working through all the evil that you see and that nothing can stop his plan? Do you believe and trust that one day all of the struggle, all of the mess that we have to go through and live through, all of the ups and downs of life, all of the confusing things that people do, all of the pain that sometimes comes from that confusion, do you believe and trust that your God is good, that he loves you, and that he's working through all of that for your good and for your glory? I'm asking you because I have to ask myself some days. That my God is sovereign. Do you believe that? Because you live in a world that's constantly telling you God is not real and that you're all by yourself and all you got to do is figure it out on your own. Trust your feelings. Do whatever you want. But that is an unwise way to live. You have a God who has given you a word. And he says, don't lean on yourself. Lean on me. You're too weak, but I'm strong. And so, yes, it's hard, but God's good. And you have, we have, I have. I feel it every time I get up here and speak. Some days I'm like, I can't really do this. But God's like, it ain't on you. Just trust my help. Don't lean on yourself. Lean on me. That's the way I want you to live your life. That's how we should live. Here, working behind the scenes. Do you trust it? Do you trust it? One of the ways we show that we truly believe that God is working, we truly believe that God has worked in a powerful way, is by taking communion together. And Pastor Sean's going to come and lead us as we do that now. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.